Our New Testament reading this morning will be from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, page 984 in your pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A little history about the societies of the Colossians is helpful. It's said that the ancient world was almost entirely pagan, consumed with a passion for sensual indulgence. Paul tells the new converts in Christ coming from this lifestyle that they must put that behind them. And even more than that, they must put these tendencies to death. They were to put to death whatever belongs to their earthly nature. They were to cut these sinful passions off without pity. And there was a list of these, included sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, greed, anger, rage, and malice. The image Paul used was to rid these, their lives of these things like taking off old, filthy clothes. Instead, they were to put on new garments to radically change their behavior, since now they were united to Christ. Paul also said in Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that brings us to the verses for today. Knowing what their lives used to be, Paul tells the young Christian community that they must act differently since they are chosen by God. They are to be holy. They are to be on this journey of life together in friendship and true fellowship in spite of the great differences they may have had in society. They are to treat each other with love and respect, helping each other grow into mature brothers and sisters in Christ. They are to be humble, patient, and must be forgiving because the Lord has forgiven them. Anger and wrath must be replaced with kindness and compassion, even when it is not deserved. And the list goes on. They are to put on love, because the Lord added the command to love to the other believers, to love other believers, to the great commandment of loving God and loving neighbor. In fact, they were called to do that in genuine fellowship with one another, even though they came from dramatically different social settings. Some were the lowest class of slaves, and some were free. Some were leaders in high standing. Some were educated, some were not. Some were Jews, and most likely, Many were Gentiles who had been willing participants in the sinful pagan culture of their day. 
They were to read the word of Christ. They were to teach each other with kindness and with love, not with hatred and suspicion, which is how they had often looked at each other in the past. They were to worship together, singing songs and hymns, and they were to be thankful people. They were to give thanks to God for everything that they did, every aspect of their lives. And that thankfulness was to be to God through their, their Father, through Christ their Lord. Like the Colossian Christians, every generation of believers need to become more mature in their faith. God's beloved need ever to be growing in the knowledge of his character. Because of God's great love for us, we need to express our gratitude and love and service to him. That means being the Lord's servants to our fellow men and women. Paul prays the Colossians would learn how to thank God for what he has done for them in Christ. That is a prayer we need also. Paul tells us that we can show our thankfulness, our gratitude, by the way we live each day. That should be our motivation for obedient discipleship and holy living, for we are to do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to our Heavenly Father through him. His lordship is for all of life. Our attitude toward life should be a conscious awareness that everything we do should be an act of thankfulness to him. This morning we will focus on why true thankfulness to God must come from our heart and soul. One commentator said the testimony of Christians from the earliest times has been, Christ put a song in my heart. So the scripture from this morning comes from Psalm 103. It's page 502 of your Pew Bibles. Psalm 103. Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels you mighty ones who do his word. 
obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. It's interesting that in the King James Version, the first two verses of Psalm 103 are the exact middle verses of the entire scriptures. Psalm 103 is the first of four praise psalms in a row. So we read, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 104 is, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. 105, O give thanks to the Lord, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. And Psalm 106, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Congregation of Christ, praise is the right response to our awesome God. Today we will look at some of the benefits David highlights, what God has done for his chosen people. As a church of believers, we are the bride of Christ, and so we of all people should bless the Lord who has redeemed us at so great a cost. It is said that the opposite of praise is forgetfulness. To forget the benefits of the Lord is to be ungrateful to God. It is to dishonor his holy name. Since it is also Father's Day, it's a good time to reflect on on the blessings that God as our Father gives to us and what he gives to us through our own fathers. In his first letter, the Apostle John wrote, see what kind of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. God calls us his children, which means that he chooses to be our Father. When the resurrected Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb, he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am sending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Think about what that means, that God is our Father. Hopefully the ways in which God cherishes us in his role as our Father will be evident as we study this psalm. Let's pray. Dear Father, no one has ever loved us like you do. You know our every thought, but you love us in spite of our willful hearts. You are a loving Father who does not reject us even when we are disobedient. Instead, being rich in grace and mercy, you are patient in your discipline. We are thankful that we can call you our Father and that you have loved us as your cherished sons and daughters. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Psalm 103 begins with David speaking to himself. He's thinking about all the blessings God has showered on him. But it's clear from these verses that this is also a song for believers. It's for those who fear the Lord. It is for believers who obey the commands of God. If that is true for you and for me, then the Holy Spirit can use David's thoughts to teach us this morning. So how does a person truly bless the Lord? The NIV version substitutes the word praise for bless. So let's think then about how we can bless the Lord by our praise. 
The first thing and most important is the praise we give to God should come from deep within our hearts. We refer to that as heartfelt. And there's a common theme in all these psalms. Not only are they songs of thankfulness, but they come from David's whole heart. He really means it down in his soul. In scripture, the words my soul or my heart mean what you and I hold to be true and meaningful. Heart and soul point to your deepest longing and desires. It's true emotion, true gratitude, not half-hearted. It's what you really believe. And this is what David is thinking here. What does Moses tell us in Deuteronomy? How much should we love the Lord? You all know the answer. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. So our praise should be like that, real and true, all that is within me. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Shortly after Moses told the Israelites to love God with all their heart and soul, he said this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So what are the benefits we are not to forget? The fruit of the spirits are all, benefit, all benefits from God. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. They don't just happen. These come to us from God's hand. What an amazing life it would be to enjoy the fullness, the fullness of these benefits all our days. David will go on to say that it is the Lord who forgives his iniquity, that he heals our diseases, that he redeems our lives, that he crowns us with love and mercy, and that he satisfies us with good things. The indwelling Holy Spirit makes it clear to the believer that everything really important and satisfying in life comes from God. David reminds us in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God our Father watches over us before we are even born. As we grow and life unfolds, he gives us every breath that we take until he calls us home. Whatever we need to live with meaning and purpose, God has provided for us. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God had prepared in advance for us to do. St. Augustine was a fourth century theologian, one of the most important church fathers. He taught the importance of thankfulness for God's blessings. And listen how he describes it. What reward will you give the Lord for his having created you above all the cattle and in his own image? And what present, what offering, what sacrifice can you ever give to him? David tells us, that God is pleased with this sacrifice. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The sacrifice of praise honors him. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Among all the kindnesses of the Lord, the first thing in David's song is the forgiveness of his sins. 
David is personally thankful that God is full of mercy, does not reject him in spite of his very public sins. Some of our sins are sins of omission, not doing what God has commanded us to do. Some of our sins we commit by doing things God does not want us to do. Perhaps we do it unintentionally, but more than likely they are willful and planned. One theologian observed that sinning willfully against God is practical atheism. It is essentially ignoring God, treating him as irrelevant to how we live. It is in choosing the momentary pleasure of sin rather than obedience to his commandments. There is often little conviction in our hearts over our sin. Psalm 66 warns us when we cherish sin in our heart, we are not fit for the kindness of God. Perhaps we don't really believe God, God's commandments apply to us, that we can behave any way we like without any penalty. It seems like that in our world. We believe that God won't do anything about it, but that is so wrong. In fact, what God did about it changed history forever. We all know there will be a judgment against our sin. Judgment is coming. But what does the Apostle Paul tell us in Romans? God shows his love for us and while, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is what God did about our sin. He paid our penalty. There are no words that can describe how thankful we should be for that gift alone. One of the Puritan scholars said, the justifying and pardoning work of a, pardoning of a sinner is one of the greatest works of God. The Puritans were wise to remind us that the benefit God lavishes upon his children cannot be fully understood unless we understand the depth of our sin first. And then the weight of the forgiveness that God has given us will cause our souls to truly bless the Lord. Heals all our diseases. I've struggled with that one in the past. As I studied this passage, I, there was another way I thought about it. Wouldn't we all be miserable if every gnat and mosquito bite never stopped itching? Cuts and bruises never healed. Our broken bones never mended. The flu never went away. Sore throat and ear infections never cleared up. The pain of surgery never stopped. The list could be as long as your imagination. God has made our bodies miraculously. When we are sick, we are restored to health many times over. Healing is a miracle we see every day, but it is so common in our experience that we take it for granted. It is true that at some point in every life, we will have a disease or an event that God in his wisdom will not heal. It may be part of God's wise plan to fashion our hearts for his kingdom. Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content in any situation. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It may be that our Father will choose to welcome us to our heavenly home, but he gives strength when we have none left, as many saints and hymns can confirm. David beautifully expresses his confidence in God's care. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And there's a spiritual truth to this as well. There are diseases of our soul, some of them are listed in the first chapter of Romans. Unrighteousness, covetousness, malice, deceit, 
haters of God, inventors of evil, faithless, heartless, lusts of the flesh. These are things that our, our Father also heals by the power of the Holy Spirit. It starts with our regeneration when the Spirit opens our hearts to see the truth of Christ in the gospel. On the day when we are glorified, he will heal all the diseases of our body. We will receive a new body, one like Christ's resurrection body. We will receive spiritual healing, for we will have the righteousness of Christ given to us. Augustine said it well, God made thy body, God made thy soul. He knows how to restore what he has made. He knows how to fashion again what he has already fashioned. He asks only that we be present, patient, in the great physician's hands. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Our Heavenly Father is a God of never-changing love and compassion. It is steadfast. He is merciful to us, likely more than we will ever know in this life. Perhaps when we are in heaven, we will learn that he has spared us so many heartaches. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, yet he has chosen us out of the multitudes to receive his blessings. We do not deserve his compassion. We do not deserve his calling. We do not deserve his forgiveness. But he has done it anyway, out of his choice to redeem us as his beloved children. One of the ancient scholars observed that we should learn from this how great our worth is because the Lord God paid such a great price to redeem us. Derek Thomas says, God looks at you and me and looks at the suffering of his son on the cross. And he said, they are worth it. They are worth redeeming. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle serves as a symbol of strength and freedom as a result of God's blessings. So what does it mean to be satisfied? It's part of our human spirit to want fulfillment and personal satisfaction. It is in our constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We recently drove through the beautiful state of Pennsylvania. The welcome sign that greets you has the slogan, pursue your happiness. So what makes people happy? What is it that most of us want in life? Well, we want to be loved. We want to think we are worthy of others' good opinions. We long to be praised for our work and for our skills. Perhaps we want material comfort. We long for the joy that we had as children. We want life to be kind and less complicated. We want pain to end. We want to be happy. And sadly, people seek satisfaction everywhere except where it can truly be found, in God. True contentment only comes from living to please the Lord. David tells us in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. Or in Isaiah, My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. There is a longing in our hearts that the world can never satisfy. Only God can, because we were made for him. And then we have the words of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
So the promise is not for material satisfaction or personal pleasure. The promise for real satisfaction is living in gratitude and service to God. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. What does Micah remind us? What does the Lord require of you, O oh man, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your Lord? As Christians, we are to be God's instruments for justice and mercy and love and kindness. We may not see God's justice in this present world, but in the day of judgment, God will condemn the evildoer and reward the suffering righteous. All the multitudes of sin on this earth that have gone unpunished will be judged. David said he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. This is what Moses said to remind the Israelites of God's ways and his acts in their own personal history. He said, the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations. For the Lord your God is a God of God and Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. He is the one you praise. He is your God, who performed for you great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down to Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. That is how God acts with power and love and mercy. David did not have the perspective of knowing the risen Savior, but we do. And we know the way God has shown his mercy to those who would be blessed in every generation. The Apostle John wrote, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. 1,000 years after David sang these words, Paul wrote, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In the book of Micah, we read, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Patience with sinners is one of God's great benefits of mercy to us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God's love is described as steadfast in many places in the Bible. In the Genesis account of the amazing story of Joseph, there is this verse. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. The end of the verse is this, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Think about this statement. Joseph is in prison. It's hardly a place where you think God would be showing Joseph steadfast love. 
But in fact, God was with him and had a greater purpose for his trials. God kept him from harm. And although we may not see it that way in the midst of our own times that are hard, remember that God's love is steadfast for each one of us. God's love can find you in the darkest prisons of your soul. What is the greatest testimony to God's love? Isn't it the cross on which our Savior paid for our sins? In the verses I just read, did you catch that David says that steadfast love of God is conditional? In the verses from Micah, the blessings are for who? They're for the remnant of his inheritance. One commentator wrote this, the love of God is not equal for everyone. He loved those who fear him. He will forgive them and have compassion for them and treat them as his children. This is the first of three verses in this psalm that use the word fear. What does it mean to fear God? Isaiah tells us what the fear of God should look like, and these are God's own words. Thus says the Lord, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. So what does that kind of fear mean? To fear the Lord God is to worship his holiness, his majesty. To fear the Lord God is having reverence for all he is, having honor and respect. The fear of the Lord is showing faithful obedience, loving him and loving our neighbors. David says that God removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. I wonder how David thought that would happen. We know it's on the cross that our Lord Jesus fulfilled that promise. In Ephesians, it's one of R.C. Sproul's favorite passages. You were dead in the trans trespasses and sins in which we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Living in our world, we are in danger of minimizing the depth of our sinfulness. When we have reduced our sins to misdemeanors, we are one step away from thinking that some sins are acceptable. C.S. Lewis pauses to give a warning about this verse. He says, what we call asking God's forgiveness is often really meaning asking God to accept our excuses. We say, that's just the way I am. If we think that way, then God's law becomes more and more irrelevant to us. Stephen Nichols, the president of Reformation Bible College, writes this. We sometimes say that we come to Christ with empty hands, that we have nothing to offer Jesus. It's all his work and his merit that accomplished the forgiveness of our sins. But the reality is our hands are not empty. Our hands are full of sin. Then why does God still have compassion for us? Because he is our father. That truth makes all of us brothers and sisters because we have the same father. His compassion is for us because he knows our weaknesses. He knows how feeble our good intentions are, how strong our sinful hearts can be. He's a father to those who are his children, to those who fear him, to those who have been called by his name, by his grace alone. 
We are blessed when we have fathers who show compassion to their children. We are blessed when we have fathers who lead their families in knowing and worshiping God, who teach their children the ways of God. We are blessed when we have fathers who are gentle and kind and selfless, who participate in the lives of their children. Fathers who love their wives are a blessing for their children. If your earthly father was any of those things, you have been given a great blessing. In this psalm, David is speaking from his heart. He feels the weight of his sin and the joy of God's compassion and forgiveness. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. 200 years after King David, the prophet Isaiah wrote similar words. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Do you see the contrast in these verses? We are weak and soon pass away, but God's word and his love are forever. Three times in this psalm we have heard David use the word steadfast love. This is one of the themes in the entire book of Psalms. Are there any words that can really describe how much God loves you? We say he is loving and caring and compassionate and merciful and forgiving. These are good words, but how do you feel in your heart? That is where it matters. John MacArthur remarks about this passage. There was never a moment in the mind of God when he didn't love his own, never. He loved you in Christ before time began, and he will love you in Christ when time is over. The committed love of God for his people is as eternal as God is, unquote. And Jeremiah wrote, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The book of Nehemiah has similar words. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So David ends this psalm in the same way he began, from his heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So what lessons are there for us? The first one actually might be a warning. When the Israelites had defeated their enemies, were settling in the promised land, Joshua warned them what would be necessary for them to keep the blessings of God. He said, be very careful to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him 
and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. But they didn't. In spite of all God did for them, they didn't walk in his ways. They didn't keep his law, and they didn't serve him. Matthew Henry warns, when we sing the Psalms, we make no melody unless we sing them with grace in our hearts. John MacArthur added, worship starts in your heart. But the cry in the soul is only as loud as one's knowledge of God. If you don't know much about God, it's a very small voice that calls you and your own heart to worship the Lord. If your life is cluttered with sin, you're really going to find it very difficult to call on your soul to worship the Lord. Worship is from the Lord that has a deep knowledge of God and a love for what is holy and pure." Unquote. So how can you love someone if you don't know them very well? How can you love God when he seems distant? Growing in the knowledge of God happens when we study the Bible and by prayer and meditation. We grow in the knowledge of God by hearing the word preached in fellowship with other believers. But we also need help, God's help. You cannot increase your love for God as your loving Father without the help of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Michael recently asked us all to begin our mornings with a prayer that we would be devoted to God. Hymns are treasures of praise and adoration and trust. They were written by men and women who were devoted to God, often in spite of suffering. As Well With My Soul was written by a man who lost all his children when their ocean liners sank. A Mighty Fortress Is Our God was written by Martin Luther, who was defending his life against the full force of the Catholic Church. One commentator said, it is no exaggeration to say that songs have taught more theology to new converts than textbooks. They really can speak to your heart. So I will end with this, MacArthur again. If you live your life remembering all his benefits, you will live your life in joy, and you will make joy for everyone around you. He has forgiven and forgotten your sins. Is it too much to ask that we remember his benefits and praise him? So just remember this. We are a blessing to God when we are thankful for his blessings and praise him. We are, a, we are a blessing to God when we do what he asks us to do, when we live according to his commandments. We are a blessing to God when we show devotion to him from morning to night. We are a blessing to God when we show the fruit of the spirit in the way we live. We are a blessing to God when we love each other. We are a blessing to God when we love Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The more we do that, the more we can say from our inmost being, bless the Lord, O my soul. Would you pray with me? Dear Father God, this prayer actually comes from two of our hymns. God, my King, thy might confessing ever will we bless thy name, full of kindness and compassion, slow to anger, vast in love. God is good to all creation, all his works his goodness prove. All thy works, O Lord, shall bless thee. All thy, these shall all thy saints adore. Jesus, Savior, Shepherd, Friend, our Prophet, Priest, and King, 
our Lord, our life, our way, our end, except the praise we bring. Father, make us content in obedience to your word, for then we shall be satisfied with truly good things. We bless you, dearest Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit.